Mini episode 1575 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello and welcome to the FDH Lounge 16th anniversary show. This is FDH managing partner Rick Morris here and in a second... I'll be bringing in FDH Lounge dignitary Ben Chu to conduct the latest chapter in our series analyzing the evolution of the very medium that we are reaching you with right now, the streaming industry. I'm very appreciative to Ben for his assistance in filling this spot on our calendar because, frankly, it is a necessary substitute for what we were going to do. From 2020 to 2022, we have filled this spot with an all-star lineup of FDH Lounge dignitaries. My fellow original dignitary, Chris Galloway, being joined by Ron Glasnap, John Adams, Anthony Patron, and Matt Patron. As of mid-December, I was still finalizing what our topic or topics were going to be for this year, and then real life intervened. I've often referred to folks we work with at the Sports Talk Network in the 2000s who were quote-unquote dignitaries before there were dignitaries. John Adams' brother Dave and Ron Glasnap, both of whom I was friends with long before that, certainly fit the bill as we worked together on the show Reality Check, which was one of a few shows on the network that were prototypes for the smart and entertaining vibe that we have cultivated here. Additionally, Johnny, Dave, Ron, and I are a tight-knit group of friends that have gone a lot of places together, and we are part of an even larger group of tight-knit friends. Johnny, Ronnie, and Davey are all dignitaries on this show, but so, so much more than that to me personally. I say all of that to say this, which is with as much composure as I can manage. It will be very easy for you to understand why I removed this panel from our anniversary show when I convey the sad news that, to our great shock, Dave passed away on December 15th. A beloved teacher, coach, and revered and central figure in his church, our beloved Davey meant so much to so many people as was evidenced by the wake at his church that some estimates have pegged with an attendance surpassing 1,000. As my circle reels from this loss and contemplates what seems to be a ridiculous and illogical world without him and his great wit, sense of humor, moral compass, and leadership in it, we are trying to be there for each other and for Dave's wife, brother, and parents. A panel with John and Ron is just not possible right now, because we couldn't come together as the kind of performers that Davey would expect us to be. I'm hoping by springtime to maybe revive our FDH Lounge Pantheon and bring this great panel with Johnny, Ronnie, Chris, Anthony, and Matt back together. By then, I think, and I hope, we'll be able to perform together at that standard that Davey would want, and we can put together a great series of segments that we will dedicate to him. In this meantime, we dedicate our FDH Lounge anniversary show to our irreplaceable friend Dave Adams. 
We love you, Davey, and we'll see you on the other side, my friend. Okay, folks, so with that introductory note in mind, I'm going to reach over and uh, make the hot tag to my good friend Ben Chu. He has been such a great part of our streaming coverage throughout the course of the show here. We've had a little mini-series that I've referred to ongoing here just because he and I are so fascinated by everything going on with this industry and something that very much embodies the future and these anniversary shows we've done not always but generally speaking have been sort of you know forward looking as far as different things in society and streaming which is the very uh, platform that we're on right now uh, communicating to you via that uh, is exactly that it is the future but how we get uh, from this part of the present into the future to where streaming really is the whole dominant kind of thing going forward that's what Ben and I have looked at over a period of time, and we continue to check back in on it as we are today with some of the most recent uh, developments in this. And uh, again, Ben, I want to thank you so much for being on this show here, for filling in for our all-star panel that we normally would have convened to do an anniversary show here. And uh, I know that uh, recording with you, it is going to be a segment that our good pal Davey would be proud of having in his honor. Oh, I'm appreciative that I was able to... To fill in this role as usual and to give a little dedication to Davey along the way. But also I will say too, I still I still need my I still I'm still not seeing my residuals, Rick. <laughs> well <laughs> those are those are very, very much delayed. I, I, not, I not even a Netflix gift card or anything. Come well, <laughs> that's see, that's what I get for leaving. You know, I'm gonna. I go, think Davey would appreciate the "Where's my money?" Routine. Well, yes, he would. And here's the thing, too. Here's an old school STN reference. That's what I get for delegating such matters to old boat shoes, huh? That's what I get. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's there's an old school STN reference that would crack Davey up. But uh, you know, as we look at the the streaming biz here. Uh, some of the big developments have been over the course of the last six to nine months uh, on the sports side of things here, whether it be the actualization of the NFL moving to streaming wholesale with the Thursday night package on Amazon, and then most recently here, the anticipation of what it's going to be next year, Sunday ticket moving over to uh, the, the, this new uh, setup that is going to be through YouTube TV so it's going to be a, a subscription-based deal, as always, and that uh, apparently your idea that you had had, Ben, that if you were Apple TV, you would use it as a loss leader, apparently is exactly what they wanted to do, but that got spiked by CBS and Fox because they are going to bleed subscribers if people can, for a modest fee, watch all the games going on. They're going to bleed eyeballs that way uh, to these uh, services. So it's a thing where it ends up being Google slash YouTube in what is going to be their first real foray into doing any of this stuff. That's what made them such a dark horse. They have the money to do it. They just hadn't gotten involved in anything to any real degree prior to this. Right, and mainly with YouTube TV, it's just mainly that. And and, and we'll, we'll know this too. It's like they've had some background. It's like you can buy NFL Red Zone and and a league pass sure. NBA league pass through them as well. So they've had that and then you can get other channels as well. It just for a session to me, it didn't some well the one of the things like it, it since Google and Alphabet is such a weird company to me that there's so many different arms at this point. Yeah. It just never felt like to me that that was a big deal. But it makes a lot of sense for YouTube TV because it is one of those it's a cord cutter thing and they want to go after Gen Y and Gen Z people and to try and 
give them the ability to watch things. So, and I mean, YouTube TV since the start of it has been probably one of the better streaming television services out there. Now, my so it, it it doesn't surprise me. It's just you would think that Amazon, Apple would be sort of the big poobas in the room at the end of the day. Right. Now, unlike where you have to have DirecTV presently to watch it, or for the most part you do, my understanding is that uh, Google is going to be offering this as a thing where you can subscribe just to that through YouTube TV. Is that correct? Is that what you're hearing? Yes, that is correct. And they're also, they also do a YouTube channel, so if you're just a regular YouTube subscriber, right? if you're willing to put forth the payment, I believe there's some way that they're going to do that as well, like the premium channels or something like that. Okay. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you're still paying the same fee. Right. And apparently the, uh, and I could never really follow between the two packages. When I had Red Zone, I always had the uh, the version that Scott Hansen did, but uh, the Andrew Siciliano one, I guess, is going away. So, all right. Yeah, I heard about that too. Yeah. I will, uh, I, I, will, I'll, I will be honest with Diane. We've discussed this. I am a pretty diehard NFL fan. I completely forgot that existed. Yeah. I, I've only ever watched I didn't it. Think, I, thought, I didn't think that was a thing. I only ever watched the Scott Hansen one. That was the only one I ever had. The thing I always found funny, too, Rick, is that even in situations where I would be at restaurants watching football on Sunday Ticket, that channel was never on. That's ever. funny. That's hilarious. Yeah, never. So. It was always either Scott Hansen or NFL Network or something else. Instead. Right. Well, yeah, that just goes to show you how many eyeballs it probably had in the first place here. But, uh Again, it was one of these things where you know Goodell was talking about this uh, recently as far as uh, streaming goes. And you and I had talked about this before it happened, the Thursday night uh, package moving to Amazon Prime. And it really was a matter of you kind of had to rip the, uh, the Band-Aid off, if you will, in terms of this. People were always go going to bitch about it. And you're always going to have n numbers restrained by any time anything is paywalled to any kind of decent degree. Such to the, the point now that I, I am, I mean, I, I don't want to get sued if, I, if I'm inadvertently accusing anyone of committing crimes here, but I, I suspect the numbers are being severely kayfabed, that they would still be 10 to 12 million or better on Thursday nights for the amount of people that have crime, unless they're counting all the people like me that are availing themselves of that awesome backdoor via Twitch, uh, where Amazon is putting the games there and hoping you won't find them. But uh, I, I'm dubious that the, the numbers would be that close to where they were a year ago here. But uh, basically, again, it's not the mass mutiny that people were screaming back in September about losing access to the games unless you have Prime or unless you find the back door on Twitch. So uh, for the NFL, the, uh, the gamble of doing this here at some point, they were going to have to do it. I think it's a very successful first uh, step for them because they get an absolute ton of money doing it. And again, as we've been talking about with our entire streaming series, I mean, if you go, I mean, at least a couple decades down the road, this will all be on streaming. I mean, this is the first step towards however long it takes for all of it to get there. The networks have been resilient. The networks keep NFL football into, I think, like 2022 or 2023. But as we've talked about before, it's a matter of survival for them. It really, really is. And that's where I really underestimated how long the networks were going to keep the NFL. Because if you look at how much they use it to promote the rest of their schedule, the fact that nothing else on TV comes close to the eyeballs of NFL football, uh, that they have to keep doing it. And it's a matter of survival. 
And for the networks to survive into the 2040s, they're probably going to need to pony up in the 2030s, whatever it's going to take to keep the package. But uh, again, streaming has its foot in the door, and that foot is only going to keep getting further and further in over a period of time. Right, and I think, too, Rick, the major thing that we'll see, and, and we've already saw this begin to happen. We saw uh, Apple TV Plus get these, these was it the Saturday night baseball package, is that correct? Friday night. The Friday night baseball package, thank you. And then also, I mean, they're dealing with the MLS for their own version of Week Pass in a way, too. So, yep. I mean, we're we're starting to see, like, the next big domino the fall is going to be the NBA media rights. And there's discussions, at least from the heads of TNT and Turner, that they don't want to, that they could possibly live without the NBA. And then, obviously, there'll be a streaming package that's going to be up for grabs, too, between Amazon, Apple TV+. Plus, and I, I would... I'd also be behooved that you could probably also throw in, um, let me see, I'm trying to think, There's there could always be a dark horse. It would not shock me if YouTube TV might want to spend even more money right? to maybe steal a package for them exclusivity as well, too. So, I mean, the major thing I think we're going to see moving forward is that a lot of these streaming services in terms of their back catalogs of content is being essentially bifurcated between so many different platforms. And we're not seeing the grand spend that we've seen in years past in terms of content just because, you know, we saw Netflix had a couple back quarters recently. Amazon's been down in the dumps recently after the stock split. So it it's in this weird timeline where I think we're going to start to see streaming television build more, but then analog is also always still going to be a big part of it. But then again, the question ultimately is going to be become is – Will one of these other streaming services led by one of these tech giants pony up the big bucks to take over a significant package from someone else? I I don't think that's going to be likely just because I think the NFL still wants to reach as many eyeballs as possible. But it would not shock me we could see a smaller league, maybe like the MLS or maybe one of these other leagues that are coming up would be extremely just extremely exclusive. Yeah. Well, and we also haven't talked about the alleged Pac-12 deal with Amazon as well that's coming up down the line too as well so yeah well there's a lot of streaming it it is everything is everything old is new again and it feels like especially moving forward it's going to be very interesting to see these streaming services pony up the big bucks because I think what's going to start to happen is and again I'm not going to call it streaming fatigue but I call it content fatigue Rick that we're just not seeing there's still like the elite level content, like obviously the Amazon Lord of the Rings series did very well. Glass Onion, the Knives Out sequel, and Emily in Paris did well on Netflix recently. And Hulu's been getting good numbers with Only Murders in this building and just some of their other shows that have recently popped up. So it's going to be really interesting to see because live sports, we said, I think years ago on another podcast, that was the last bastion for pay TV. And if you're what we obviously we'll use all use a separation rick diehard fans will always want to watch sports but the casual fans if they can just get their hit of the nfl on thursday or we'll say the nba on monday nights that could be a way to keep the casual fan interested very much so and uh, you make an interesting point about the pac-12 because uh, they got left out in the cold of some of the big media deals that uh, the sec and the Big Ten ended up making. But again, right place, right time. If somebody like Prime wants to take a big step up and be more significant in this, again, uh, they risk as a conference. And one thing too, Rick, I 
I'm sorry if I'm sure. interrupting. I did want to note this. There yeah. is some rumors being, I believe, front office sports had this report about, I think, last week that Amazon is possibly floating a a, a uh, sports-only app at some point. Yeah, I can believe So, it. I mean, if that's out there, if you already are considering that and if Amazon. And I think the question we're going to say, too, Rick, is that with Amazon, they're at this point where I would argue that they're not a top three streaming service right now as of this moment. I would agree. But I could see that they might want to put in the uh, put the pressure in a little bit, Rick, I on get... Netflix mm-hmm. and Hulu and Disney Plus and HBO Max as well. So I could see that. I could see that. And that, yeah, I mean, uh, so the, the Pac-12 might uh, be in the right place at the right time. As far as that goes, with somebody needing to move bigger, again, they would face the same issues as far as risking alienating their uh, fans by making them purchase Prime, but that might be something that they're willing to do because college football money is uh, the epitome of an arms race. you got to be able to keep up, and this is where streaming might be able to fill the gaps on this. Uh, You had a lot of interesting notes there about a lot of different services, one of them being one of the things that really caught my ear was when you were talking about uh, as far as linear TV, the NBA possibly not coming back to Warner Media. I think they're just posturing on that. They can't afford to lose yeah, them. Yeah, I, think I they also know tend it. to think it's posturing as well. But again, I, yeah, stranger things have happened, and well, I've always thought too that there is a way where the NBA is essentially going to probably be the most progressive of all the sports and take might take a package away. Well, this whole Warner Discovery merger has really been a thing, and I can say this is something that I have viewed with some degree of alarm as an AEW fan in terms of uh, them getting another deal from them. I mean, I think they will, but will it be at a, a level that allows them to thrive? There have been cutbacks right. everywhere. And the question, too, is that there will be other significant bidders as well, too. Yes, and, uh, and that is true. Uh, but some of the things they're doing, they're already moving stuff off of HBO Max, which I find to be very interesting uh, and very alarming as somebody who is presently a subscriber. Right, be- and, uh, and they also, if you remember too, they also canceled a bunch of Warner, there was at least one or two movies that were canceled, including yeah. Catwoman, and then also some series that were planned Yeah, that they couldn't put the kibosh on. I, I would argue right now, HBO Max or whatever that becomes. It's the weirdest service because it has some of the most high-profile shows on television right now, but it's the biggest mess, arguably, of all the streaming services. It really, like, you don't know if they're coming or going as far as how they're uh, handling stuff right now. Yeah. And I can tell you... On the analytics, if you look down the... If you were to look at the healthiest streaming TV services or streaming services, Rick, you'd put that near the bottom. Well, and that's the thing. The, these discovery guys coming in with all the cost-cutting stuff, as a consumer, I find it to be very irritating. I think they canceled uh, what was supposed to be uh, the remainder of Westworld that was going to be coming up. Uh, that was a series I hadn't started yet, so I guess I can start it now since I know that uh, I can watch it start to finish. But they have so many great shows, like you said, that are there. In the, in the upcoming months, they're already promoting the next season of Succession, which I can't wait for. Uh, having just watched uh, both seasons of uh, The White Lotus, uh, it is every bit as good as the water cooler talk would indicate that it was, albeit that's also a show for the linear HBO, but as far as HBO Max, that's something where they were counting on shows you know, like, like these ones driving a lot of uh, traffic uh, to it. So again, yeah, they're in a weird place because they're still cranking out a lot of great stuff, uh, but just to start, to start bleeding the catalog and 
something we talked about long ago. I'm proud to say we were talking about this before anybody else was, I think, that uh, Discovery Plus and HBO Max are redundant in a post-merger world. Yes, you do have with uh, ESPN uh, Plus, Hulu, and Disney Plus, you do have all three of those, and you look at it like, what do you need Hulu and Disney Plus for? And as a matter of fact, I believe in some countries around the world, there there is not both of those. There is just the Disney Plus, I believe, in some countries. So redundancy with different streaming services under one uh, banner here. This is something I think we're going to see more of going forward. Consolidation within the same conglomerates here. Uh, when, when there's a merger that happens and there's more than one streaming service involved, you're even seeing it with Paramount Plus, the way they're starting to subsume Showtime. Right, and I think also just in terms of the general streaming outlook on the world is, is that I think you and me both thought by now that a lot of these companies would be not necessarily healthier, but would be coming off of a better boon in a post-pandemic world. Yep. And it just kind of seems like not one of them has really figured out the secret sauce. So you'd say, I would argue like Disney Plus is probably with Hulu and ESPN Plus is probably positioned the best out of all of them. Yeah. But I would make the argument that Netflix still has the best original content. Apple TV still has a very good baseline of stuff. And H- despite all the HBO issues, they still have some of the most top-run shows on television. They do indeed. So you have to look at just the general narrative of what it looks like, which is, is that these, everything, everyone's trying to penny pinch. Everyone's trying to make some moves to make cost effectiveness occur. But the problem is, and we all know this too, is, is that for a lot of people, once you run out of content or content, you don't want to watch, it turns into cable TV in the 1990s. It does. It absolutely does. And that's where some of these ones here, yeah, that every thing under the Disney banner at this point in time here, they end up bringing back Bob Iger, who is now uh, coming in with the posture of, yo, we got to start making some money in the here and now, as opposed to what we're doing down the road. That is uh, opposed as far as uh, a way of looking at it to what Peacock's been doing over the course of the last two years or so, where they've been pretty consistent about trying to build up Peacock uh, at all costs here. And uh, it is having some effect. They are growing their numbers. They are doing a lot with it. But uh, the, the whole Comcast, NBC kind of uh, structure here has been very, very committed to this with Peacock, that this is the future, this is where things are going, we need to be driving stuff to this. And I think that Comcast slash NBC, I think they've shown the greatest amount of commitment to this as a business model, uninterrupted commitment, because like you said, Disney, they'd been pretty strong towards pushing towards it recently, but Iger coming back, I think, throws a little bit of a question mark into that. Comcast is still going in a pretty unified direction with the pedal to the metal, I think, on building Peacock. Right. And, I, and the only concern I have right now for Comcast is that there's still, excuse me, for Peacock is that there's still a very niche service. Yeah, in some ways. I would think that it would be bigger by now, but you'd probably put it right now with Paramount Plus and, uh, and essentially, you know, HBO Max. And it's still not in the top tier yet. And it's going to be interesting to see because. And we've discussed this too, Rick. Their growth strategy seems to be different than everyone else's growth strategy, which is try to get as throw as many content ideas out of the wall and hope see what sticks. Yeah. And it seems like Peacock is doing a slow growth, which I can't blame anyone. But then I also can understand why their numbers are very slow moving, though. 
Well, here's the thing, though. Peacock, and they've pointed this out, and this is true, they have a component of every sports package that NBC Comcast has. And Correct, they yes. are they're the most committed in terms of trying to tie their sports contact or content into Peacock as opposed to these other ones versus it's very interesting. Peacock ends up with things like, and this is something I believe you and I questioned at the time, that when Paramount set up Paramount Plus, uh, the biggest show by far on Paramount, one of the biggest shows anywhere in their entire empire is Yellowstone, and they immediately went and sold off that catalog, rented it out for however many years, to Peacock instead of having it on their own service. And this is something I talked to you about off-air as a regular watcher of uh, Yellowstone, that uh, their entire, almost all of their commercial catalog is given over to promoting the spin-off shows, the other Taylor Sheridan shows, uh, even even the ones unaffiliated with Yellowstone, like the the one Stallone project, Tulsa King, and the other one that Jeremy Renner was doing last year, uh, Mayor of Easttown, I think was the name of it, promoting those shows in there. And then, yes, there are some ads for things that are tied into Yellowstone. Some of these companies that are doing, like, paid tie-ins, they get commercials in there. But they're they're spending all of their own money on this. And by spending money, I mean not taking in the money that they could be using to sell off the 30 and, and 60 second ads foregoing that uh, to be able to do this. And the most recent projection I saw is that like, well, Paramount Plus is expected to be profitable in the next couple of years. And if I'm a shareholder, I'm sitting there going, wait a minute, you did the Pennywise pound foolish thing of selling off Yellowstone's catalog to, to, to Peacock saying we'd make money off of that. And then now you compound it by not even selling ads that much to outside entities when Yellowstone is on the air, all chasing this future revenue for, for Paramount+. Plus, They've been aggressive in many areas with Paramount+, Plus, and I take my hat off to them, but just everything they're doing with one of their most important programs, if not their most important program, shows me a very jumbled corporate strategy on what their endgame is. Right, and it appeared when they were launching it officially CBS All Access... I think it looks like they were trying to compete more with the Hulus and the Netflixes and the yes. Apple TV Pluses of the world. Yes. And it almost feels like they've now taken a backseat and just is now mainly focusing on profitability, which is not the worst thing in the world, Rick. If, if you're trying to, and, and I'll note this too, I'm just going to be courteous to um, Paramount Plus because I, I would argue that they have a little bit better of a back catalog in terms of new content coming out soon. Obviously, you know, we, we'll we'll talk about. They also have the Premier League. To, oh, excuse me. That, that's they have. You know, they have, they got. You know, it's they got European football. UEFA, you know, I think. Some yeah. Other leagues too UEFA. out there. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they have some stuff in the pipeline, especially with Star Trek, and then obviously the Frasier reboots coming up soon too. So they're they're interesting. If if we want to make a sports analogy, Rick, they remind me a lot of the Tampa Bay Rays, actually. Yeah, and that's where again, as they as they fold. The Showtime stuff into the fold here, which uh, I first started to take note of when they, is they they love doing the whole drug pusher, the first taste is free thing with some of the Paramount Plus shows, putting them on after Yellowstone. When they did it with George and Tammy, the new show on uh, Showtime uh, based on the, uh, the, the, the book written about uh, George Jones, which I have to say as somebody who re- uh, read a George Jones, I think I read his memoirs some years ago and it was fascinating even as a lot of it was pretty pathetic about him personally. I may watch that at some point. But then I saw 
oh yeah, they're going to be folding Showtime more and more into Paramount+. Plus. That makes sense, because then you sort of have more of the synergy of what you have with HBO and HBO Max on this here, as far as right now, the Showtime app is still something you can get separate from the rest of this, but folding it in is, when you talk about the catalog and when you talk about trying to keep up as much as you can with the Hulus and Netflixes and whatever, if you're adding the, the whole Showtime engine to the mix, I think that makes it a little easier. Right, and I think the ultimate thing, and, and we all know this too, is, is that outside of Netflix, which is just their own single entity already, a lot of these services are essentially merging services together at this point. Hulu essentially is Hulu and Disney Plus for most people. Like obviously, they've been promoting their nine ninety nine campaign for both right per month. There's like you said, HBO Max and Discovery Plus, and then for and then and then obviously for you know cbs moving with showtime as well it's it's gonna turn down to ultimately what i think is like i believe where all these places are going to exist on the plane of existence because they're always going to be needed because all these companies are going to still see streaming as a way to get money it's all a rev it's an all new revenue stream it, excuse me it's not an all new revenue stream but it's a revenue stream that didn't exist 10 years ago essentially right so I know a lot of these companies are not doing well in terms of their cable numbers outside of the NFL. It, it's not looking good. Like it gets to the point, Rick, I'll use the analogy that when some of the top shows on TV are barely getting over a two rating. That's true. On cable, to, uh, on like regular, you know, the big four networks, that's usually not a good sign that cable is healthy at this point. Well, and that's the thing too, as far as the health of cable this is something where I'm going to give you credit because it's an observation that you made previously during our little streaming mini-series on this program. I hadn't heard anybody else say this, and I'm still not sure anybody has caught up to you on making this point, so I can't give you enough credit for this, but what you said about the pandemic, that uh, there was the obvious thing of like, okay, a lot of first-run programming had ground to a halt and everything like that, and of course streaming picked up, of course streaming uh, filled the gap. Something's always going to fill the gap. But when you said, and you were right, it'll never be the same. It's the before and after moment that streaming will continue to take a chunk out of first-run programming to a greater degree than it ever did previously. I think the numbers bear that out, that it gets to be harder yeah, and harder. Yeah, unless harder. we're talking about the NFL, yes. NFL games or the NBA finals or yes. the national championship game in college football or SEC football. Yep. It, it, the numbers are not comparable anymore. And I feel the major thing now is, is that I think a lot of people have gone, if, unless you're a sports fan, and we, I've discussed this because I have a lot of friends who are big sports fans and some people who aren't sports fans, who do not even have cable, have no need or necessary for cable. Because if you have enough streaming services, you're still, I, I'd use the analogy, Rick, if you had a combo of Hulu plus Disney plus, Plus, one of these other ones, whether it's either Netflix or Apple TV Plus or one of these other things, you perceptionally have enough content. Yep. You have enough there. And one thing I will know, too, two of the names we haven't really even spoken about on this, Pluto TV and Tubi. I love both of those, yeah. Have done, at least from what I saw, gangbuster numbers in terms of their ad revenues in the last six months. And again, I hate to say it, it's the weirdest thing to say, but... Sometimes free TV can be even better than pay TV sometimes. So right. I would like to say huge kudos to the teams at TV and the teams at Pluto TV who have just been. I'll be honest, I was very, uh, what's the joke I like to say, Rick? 
I, I, I was skeptical that they would work it out, but they have done such a fantastic job that I'll eat some crow today that they are now worthy of the discussion of streaming TV now. Yeah, and I tell you what, as a consumer, I'm so grateful that it's working out because, uh, again, uh, Tubi, for those who still don't know, that was an existing service that was acquired by Fox, and that Fox is basically almost alone as far as the big media companies, as far as not having a subscription thing to push people to. Uh, they push people to Tubi, which is free and ad-supported. And Pluto TV, the way that I like to characterize it, there are, and this is not unprecedented because there are other companies that do the same thing. Now that uh, IMDb TV was acquired by Amazon and they changed it to Freevee, the way that I describe Freevee to people is it's the free version of Amazon Prime, the programming, and the same is true with Pluto TV because I describe that as the free version of Paramount Plus because some of the series that are uh, on Paramount Plus in the back catalogs, they'll put a season or two or whatever on there, and there's a strong Paramount Plus influence on Pluto TV in addition to all the other catalogs that they've acquired. But it, it's outstanding. I mean, that's one of those things where uh, I bring it up when I'm trying to show somebody like my dad all the free stuff that he can watch on his smart TV. Whenever I'm walking people through anything like that, and that, like, yes, there are all these great subscribing things, but if, if you just want to watch stuff for free that you're not going to have to pay for, those are two of the ones right there. I'm so glad you brought them up, Pluto TV and uh, Tubi, because those are great options for people they don't have to subscribe to. To a certain extent, also, I think we can say Crackle, which has a lot of the Sony back catalog on there as well. So you just have to look for it, but there are some free ones out there that are excellent. If you don't mind sitting through ads, and I don't find them to be too onerous, and by the way, you're going to be watching ads on cable TV or places anyways, so you know what I mean? Uh, it, right. it's, it's and I would make thing. the argument too right now that of all them, Pluto is, it's weird to say like that Paramount Plus is one of the lower tier services, but in terms of the free tier, Pluto is the best, in my personal opinion. At yeah, this time. it is. It Just is. with the dearth of programming they have through through CBS and Nickelodeon and the NFL packages, it's just they do a very good job there. And I, I tell people, even though I, you know, I don't watch Pluto TV a lot, it's a great service to have just to have. It is. It is. It's it's wonderful, and it's a thing where. I mean, I, I just tell people that because, again, they have so many different sub-channels uh, that are within on there. So, like, there's an MLB sub-channel, and they'll show a lot of classic games. And it's the kind of thing where I wonder why the actual MLB network doesn't do more of that, especially in the off-season. Uh, but, it's you know, to a certain extent, uh, there, there's an NFL channel on there that I think does somewhat the same thing. There's a World Series of Poker channel where any time of day, it's because it's 24-7, you can go on there and it'll have a World Series of Poker uh, broadcast from any time in the last 20 years. You can watch all of that Right, anytime. and I'll use other, some other examples too, Rick. Yeah. They also have a SpongeBob channel for Nickelodeon. They yep. also have a classic Nick for Nickelodeon. They also got, um, you know, they got some of the other platforms. I know they had a Portlandia channel for a bit there too. They also... Uh, you also have to, they also got news and sports too on there too. So you don't feel, I would use the analogy. If you were like forced to go down to one streaming service, I would make the argument that to have the best singular service, it would be Pluto TV in my opinion. If you're forced to go to one service for the entirety of your life, it might be. I would say Pluto just because their back catalog 
is still so good. It might and be. And has so many interesting things. And we are, I mean, and we'll note this too, we still haven't even brought up Roku, who's making their own mini right. at the same point too. So. Right. And Roku is, is similar in that uh, they offer on their channel a whole bunch of sub-channels as well, similar to uh, Pluto and similar to Tubi. Uh, and I want to draw what you said there with Pluto because, again, uh, there are news uh, channels on there. I think the Cheddar Financial one is on there. So when you talk about people that are cord cutters, if there are people that think that they need to have uh, cable TV just to have some kind of news coverage or financial coverage, you can find free versions of those within yeah. Pluto. And the one thing I'll note, too, is like you're also forgetting with CBS2 and with Paramount, is they have a lot of good first-run movies on there in terms of horror and action, yes. and romantic comedy. So I always tell people, like if you, if I, although I am not a constant Pluto TV watcher, I would make the argument that if you're looking for a streaming service that's free and fill, can fill your time, Pluto's where to be. Yes, I would agree. And then old school TV too. And this is a thing where, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and I've uh, there there was a friend of mine that uh, his his mom was delighted because uh, I I I brought to her attention. I think it was uh, some uh, there like uh, there was a game show channel on there. There's Johnny Carson, and this is a thing where his estate was very very savvy, or he him during his lifetime was of where he got those rights separate and distinct from the Tonight Show. So they're not built. It's not built as the Tonight Show, but there's like a Johnny Carson sub channel on there. You can go on any time, day or night, and pull up a live streaming version of an old Johnny Carson show, and on and on and on and on. Yeah, Pluto TV. Uh, it, it is elite when it comes to this uh, kind of stuff here. You know, Tubi as well. It's much in the same mold. Roku TV, as you said, and. That is a thing where again uh, they're they're adding some some more content. Uh, I haven't gone on and watched any of the stuff. That, I think they acquired uh, Queeby. I think it was. I haven't seen any of the stuff they acquired from them yet, but I will have to check that out. So yeah, there are good ones that are sort of more under the radar when we're talking about this because we have a tendency to talk about the big boys and the ones that are, that are are the subscription ones. Uh, because they they, they kind of get all the glory and they have the most buzzworthy shows and deservedly so. But yeah, I mean the nooks and crannies you can find in other places. Uh, it, it's it really such outstanding stuff. And I am so heartened to hear from you, as I think a lot of our listeners will be, what you're saying about how Pluto and Tubi are doing on the ad revenue side of this thing. Because as consumers, this is the kind of stuff we have a vested interest in seeing it keep going. Right, and I feel too, especially is that we're even though we're seeing a lot of costs incurring in terms of prices going up for Apple TV and Hulu, Disney Plus combo, and then Netflix has going to have their ad tier come in soon at some point to save some money for people. But it, the streaming game, I always think it's always going to be those because first, new look programming is always going to be the, at the top of all pinnacle at the end of the day. But I, we also like to think that the streaming ecosystem is just more than those. Four, big four essentially but right. it's going to be interesting to see and it's also going to be interesting to see too for the future of stuff like pluto and tubi if these networks decide to build more on those packages if well, they decide that hey paramount I, like our current streaming service is not enough maybe we need to ship pluto tv into our system yeah so it's just going to be very interesting to see what the future is going to look like, especially, and I think we saw with the NFL being the first bastion of the first big package to leave 
in terms of sports. The NBA will probably be next after the MLS and the NHL. It's going to be very interesting to see what everything, how everything's going to look at the end of time. And we haven't even talked about some of the TV shows that will probably be big hit heavy hitters when they come back officially too. Well, yes, definitely. We want to talk about that. Uh, but as far as it goes, uh, Peacock is sort of unique in that they have a free tier, so they have it kind of yeah. built in. But I hope the way that it goes, that it continues to go, is the movement towards free stuff as opposed to, again, if Paramount Plus was to subsume most of or all of Pluto, I, that would be tragic, I think, as far as all the free stuff that would be lost to people. But uh, I'd like to see a world where uh, maybe HBO Max, if, if there ends up being sort of a free uh, version of that, if these other companies decide to get into the business of, okay, we have our subscription one, but we're going to do like Paramount, and we're going to have a free version as well. Of course, Peacock with Comcast, their free version is contained within. It would be nice if other companies adopted that same model, if, if they thought that you know ad sales could help get them there. But uh, go to your point of what you were just about to say there as far as some of the big shows coming back and how that's going to be. I mean, there's still, I keep telling people, there's still a lot to get to. I mean, we're going to have new Only Murders at some point coming up on Hulu. Black Mirror is going to come back to Netflix at some point after that lengthy hiatus. So that's going to be a big leader for them. I know, you know, uh, there we say, Rick, you know, the the Game of Thrones spinoff will always continue to be on the top of a lot of dockets, but there's also some other, other minor shows that were also kind of flirting around the crew. I know the new season of severance will come out yes. of the morning show and the final season of Ted Lasso is coming to Apple TV plus. There's just so much. And then I'll mention too, it's like the Frasier reboot still on deck at Paramount plus. And there's also, you know, Peacock, I know the office reboot is there's still, we don't know what's fully going to be, but that's always lurking around the corner at some point. So it is. It is. And I feel like we're in this sort of weird sort of hybrid of like there's a lot of fall. It's like we're seeing a huge bifurcation of content across the board with everybody. We are. But the brutal, funny honesty of it now is, is that it's going to come down to prestige TV for streaming services to keep people involved. And I feel like we're going to start to see more of that coming soon. It is. And that's where, again, a service like AMC Plus, they're trying to make it, I think, almost exclusively out of uh, prestige TV, but they just, you know, and, and the shows they have, you know, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, some of the other ones in there uh, are very weighty programs, but I don't know that it's going to be enough to carry it in an era of the bigger ones here. My guess is that ends up getting subsumed uh, into a bigger media conglomerate here at some point, and that's where, to kind of bring this all the way around, Ben, and take a look at this, Uh, Something that could become not just the biggest streaming story of 2023 if it happens, and I don't know if it would happen before the end of the year or not, but things move fast. It could happen before the end of the year. It would be not just the biggest streaming story, but maybe the biggest media story of 2023. There's already talk with all the cost-cutting and everything like that that's happening with the Warner Discovery uh, merger that has happened of them possibly getting subsumed into something else. And uh, the rumors that I have heard... Uh, and, and I heard them primarily through the prism of being a wrestling fan because of ha ha ha, how funny would it be to have AEW and WWE under the same banner? Comcast, NBC, possibly making a play for Warner Discovery. I mean, that would be the behemoth of all behemoths, I think, on the media landscape here if you brought those two together, put their streaming services together. 
Uh, I don't know how likely it is, but we've seen consolidation. Look, there, there, there was once upon a time, right, when it seemed uh, unlikely that uh, Warner and Discovery would come together, and they did. So anything truly... Yeah. And the, the, the ironic thing is, is that it seems to have shrunk their combined value in this merger and all the expense they took on, which could make them susceptible to being swallowed by somebody bigger still. Right, and I think one of the things we also need to discuss too, Rick, is, is that a lot of the, at some point, one of these streaming services is going to lose money. Yep. And someone's going to pull the plug at some point. Obviously, I don't think it's going to be one of the big heavy hitters, but someone's always going to be on the bubble, I like to say. Yes. So if someone's going to be on the bubble, their content's going to be up for grabs. And we're already seeing some bifurcation of like CBS pushing stuff to Netflix. And like you mentioned, Hulu, get, not Hulu, but Peacock getting Yellowstone as mm-hmm. well. It's just going to be, there's going to be shows and then it's going to be interesting to see how a lot of these places are going to navigate because we're going to see more price increases and we're going to see more people clamoring for content because I feel like, and I'll note this too, is, is that compares, comparing from this year to that, from this year to streaming five years ago, it's a completely different landscape. And there is no sort of catch-all service anymore. So you're going to start to see people pick and choose their content based on what they need. Yep. Or what they want to visually desire. It's getting to be a cliche, but people are talking about how it's increasingly uh, getting to be like how cable was, you know, back in the time here. And what channels you'd subscribe to or not subscribe to. Essentially, that's what the streaming services have become. So... Uh, so much very good stuff that we covered here. Uh, any additional thoughts we didn't get to about the streaming landscape as we head into 2023? I mean, I, I would make, uh, there is one little interesting nugget I do want to throw out there just in terms of what the future of streaming holds. And the big question for me is we talked about sports, all the major ones, but we're going to also see some of these minor sports. Like I saw, obviously, Pickleball is having their new league come up to fruition. And I'm intrigued to see if anyone's going to bid big on that to possibly grow in the thing. It's going to be interesting to see because we, 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 you and me talk, tend to think about the world in terms of the older generational crowd. And I'm in that sort of mid millennial generation, but a lot of Gen Z, how Gen Z is going to be driving these streaming services moving forward. Yep. And that is true. And uh, again, yeah, uh, and it's and also, it, and it also I'll know too, it shouldn't be too surprising then that YouTube is doing such good numbers right now because the younger generation trust YouTube in a way that I don't think you and me do necessarily sometimes. Right. And that's the thing where, I mean, we don't talk about YouTube in this sense, but, uh, you know, as far as like, again, our show being there and everything else, I mean, the biggest, you know, open source, if you will, place in the world for content and programming and whatever is YouTube. And now, again, ever since, uh, I think early since the, the early 2010s, they cut down on the amount of uh, bootleg stuff there, but uh, you know you, you can still find uh, bootleg shows of like largely discontinued programming. The ones where people don't own, where there's no like real rights holders out there. Like uh, it, it is a it is a goldmine, for example, for like discontinued soap operas because the networks don't have any money. There's no monetary interest in stopping people from watching old soap opera clips or episodes, as it were. So. YouTube is, it's sort of the wild, wild west in terms of, you know, like I said, anything that conglomerates don't have an interest in monetizing. You can find all of that, and then, of course, every podcast in the world and all these other things out there that are available. Right. And, and the big thing, too, Rick, moving forward is, is that 
is how stuff like YouTube and TikTok and to just talk, talk about social is how video has changed dramatically to shorter form and yep. what we're consuming now more than ever. Right. And I, I think, you know, I think you and me both thought maybe back in the two, mid 2000s, early 2010s, that the world would be a little bit different in terms of a la carte programming, yeah. video programming. But it's sort of stayed the same sort of course, but I think now people are even wanting more quick snippets and bits of video now more than ever. And I think our brains have been trained to look at that content much sizable at this point, or sizably. I, I think so. I think you're right about that. And uh, again... We're and the binge factor and the watchability factor of a lot of content, too. Yes. We're getting the changes you and I thought were going to be coming, but just not on the time frame we thought. I think if, if you would have said to us, uh, again, as we look back at the history of the FDH Lounge on our 16th anniversary, uh, if you'd have looked at us, say, five years in in 2012, uh, I, I think it would have been a consensus that by 2023 we'd be much further down the road that, uh, oh, you're going to have, uh, you know, sports, major sports packages on streaming services and things like that. Because even then, Netflix was starting to get to a point where people were saying they're going to get to be so much bigger and badder. Uh, Hulu was really starting to get to be a thing in the early 2010s, etc. Like, I don't think things are as far along as we might have thought they would have been say, at the five-year point of the show uh, 11 years ago, but it's it's getting there, Ben. I agree with you. Yeah, and I also feel, too, one of the biggest things that we're going to see moving forward is in terms of how content, especially with TV, in terms of how we view it and how we engage with it, how much intrigue that's going to be provided, and how some of these streaming services are starting to charge more, but the content is starting to downgrade itself a little bit. Right. And it's, it's interesting because this is the first time we've ever seen all the major players have price increases around about the same time. Yep. It used to just be Netflix and, that, and YouTube TV, and that was the usual complaints. Yep. It, uh, you know, almost as if there was some coordination there. Not that I'm saying that, mind you, but it's, it's, it's almost... <laughs> you got to make revenue some way, Rick. We all can't be Pluto TV. Yeah, well, that, that my, my best friend and I figured out long ago that's a good way to, to keep from getting sued. It's almost as if, as long as you preface it with that, you can't accuse people of collusion or anything like that. But, uh, you know, again, all of these are very, very fascinating stories. And again, th this, is, this is a business that uh, you and I are always just focused on with a very, very keen eye. I love the ability that you and I have to be able to get in the weeds with this kind of thing here. And uh, it's, it's great for what we always try to make as a real future-looking segment here on the FDH Lounge whenever we have an anniversary show. And again, breaking format this year with the panel we've had the last couple of years. Doing this with you, Ben Chu, this was everything I thought it would be and a great fitting show devoted to our great friend and FDH Lounge dignitary, Dave Adams. Thank you so much, Ben, for stepping up and being a part of this segment here and stepping into the gap. No problem, Rick. That's always the rule. No panels, all real. That, there you go. There you go. It's, uh, and it was just uh, amazing to get to do this with you uh, and very meaningful to me. Thank you so much, Ben. Thank you, everybody, for checking out the 16th anniversary show of the FDH Lounge.